presence of the church, which means all of God's people from all times and all places, that when we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we belong to that big family. And belonging to that big family, that big church, is lived out where we live, in a local church. And so there is a joy and a privilege and responsibility of belonging to a local church as we seek to follow after Jesus. Many churches have a a variety of ways in which they go about um, saying, this is how you belong here. Uh, Certainly all churches have that informally by the way that you attend and, and participate in the life of the church. And then some churches, many churches, have a process which, for a lack of a better word, is called membership. It's that process of saying, no, I'm really all in with you all, just as you all are all in with me or with my family. Here at Trinity, we walk through a couple of things, several things in our process um, of belonging here at Trinity. We want to help everybody come to a, a sort of a shared unity around the message of the church, that is the gospel, and it produces a gospeled people. We talk about the marks of the church, what makes up the life of a local church. And then we look at the mission of the church. What are we here to do in light of all that God has done for us? And then we welcome those who are saying, yes, I'm all in with this, and and we are saying we're all in with you in this process of membership. Today, we are recognizing a family who recently had gone through that process, and we want to recognize them as being a part of our church family, formally, beyond the informal into the formal. And that is Peter, Peter and Vera Curick and their children, Rose, Petey, and TJ, if you'd stand. I have the privilege of welcoming you in as you hear the welcome from this church family on behalf of the elders uh, and members of our church, welcome to Trinity formally. Thank you. Yeah. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. As we continue thinking and exploring what does it look like to be friends with God, friendship with God. We started the summer off by just talking about that broadly speaking, that God has purposed and made a way for us to be friends with him. And then, as we understand God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. In each person of the the Trinity, we have friendship with. We spent a couple of weeks on friendship with the Father, and we have spent a couple of weeks on friendship with the Son, and this is our third week looking at what it means to be friends with Jesus. Specifically for us today, what does it mean to be friends with Jesus for the long haul? For the long haul. So we're going to look at that together, looking to Jesus uh, for the long haul. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 will lead and guide our thoughts this morning. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. As we come to your word, we pray that you would be with us in the preaching of your word, in the hearing and receiving and believing of your word, that it would do a transforming work in our hearts. We ask this uh, to your glory and to our good. In Christ's name, amen. So how does one train for and run a marathon? One doesn't, because that's just crazy talk. (laughs) To answer the question, I have no idea, because I have no aspiration to run a marathon. So I had to go about looking it up. There are four main sort of important building blocks to training for a marathon. One, you have to build up the miles you run each week. So each week you want to push yourself a little bit more, gaining more mileage, if you will. Two, every seven to ten days you need to do a very long run. That's part of that building up the level and stamina. Three, it is important to run at varied speeds and tempos because it helps improve your cardio strength and stamina. And then four, you need to plan rest and recovery days. Depending on your starting point, getting ready for a marathon can take anywhere between 12 to 20 weeks. Unlike a sprint race, the joy of a marathon isn't necessarily found in beating the competition of the other runners, but really beating the task of 26.2 miles. Completing a marathon is the culmination of victory. It's no wonder why the long-distance race is a metaphor for our following our friend Jesus in this life. While I may not be eager to run an actual marathon, I am grateful for such a metaphor. Because in it, Jesus is being a good friend to us. He's telling us what to expect And from that, how we can go about training for it. So our hope as being friends of Jesus is that we would be friends of Jesus for the long haul. Not in a sprint, but in a marathon. Not on a flat surface, but through the ups and downs, the the smooth paved and the roots and holes of this life. We want to be able to look to Jesus, follow after Jesus through all of this life with endurance. So let's consider that together today on being friends with Jesus, being friends with Jesus for the long haul. There are three things I want us to wrestle with and to think about. One, what are we to do? On being friends with Jesus for the long haul, what are we to do? Secondly, and naturally maybe by thinking about it, What are we to do? How can we do it? How we can go about doing that? And then thirdly, why we can actually do it? What are we to do? How can we do it? Why we can do it? So let's first tackle the what are we to do? Look again back at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Two things are told 
of us and what to do to be friends with Jesus for the long haul. Lay aside hindrances and run with endurance. So let's first tackle the lay aside the hindrances. There are two kinds of things that we are to lay aside. One is good and one is bad. And we're to lay them both aside. Laying aside good things. So first of all, we need, let's get a sense of what we're saying first. Laying aside anything that would hinder you from running the race of following Jesus. Anything that would hinder you from running the race of following Jesus through this life. To lay aside means to put off, to take off. Like, think of the clothing of first century, if you can. It's like removing the outer wear and garments from what would have been typical first century clothing fashion in order to run without hindrances. So it's setting aside things that would prevent you from being able to run, that is to follow after Jesus in this life. The first thing we see here is lay aside every weight. There's no value associated with this. It's not actually a negative that's put here. Every weight refers to things in this life, even good things. Even the good things. And what's important here when we think about this is if it's to lay aside that which would hinder us from running, then there's something that these particular good things are for us. These are good things that, that in our heart are competing to be ultimate. So they're not bad in and of themselves. They're good things in this life but they're wanting to be in the spot of ultimate in your heart. And here's the thing that we learn in life. Sometimes the hard way, and other times when we think carefully and reflect prayerfully on it, good things cannot bear the weight of ultimate things. Eventually, the weight of being ultimate will buckle the thing that is good. Only one can bear the weight of ultimate, and that's Jesus, whom we are to look to. So we need to take into account that we all may have good things in our lives that are actually hindrances to us running the race with endurance, following after Jesus, being his friend for the long haul in this life. Now, also important, is that we can't make universal statements on what these weights, these good things, are. Because what may hinder you may not hinder someone else. What may hinder you, what good thing that might be your hindrance, may not be the hindrance for someone else. Therefore, we have to be careful that we don't sort of project onto other people our hindrances, making those things normative for all believers especially when the Bible tells us not to do such a thing. For example, silly examples, but maybe pop culture for you consumes way too much of your heart, your time, your energy. But for someone else, movies are just fun, not a big deal. Or maybe, maybe you flip a switch and you go sideways and bonkers on social media. You just lose your mind and your ability to filter your thoughts. But for someone else, social media is the place where they post photos of random coffee mugs from various coffee shops that they go to. (laughs) Whether you're on the snap face 
or on the Twitter sphere. Just kidding. But we do. We have to be mindful and, and careful how we think on these things. Because some good thing may be a hindrance for us, but not for others. Or someone else's hindrance that we should be mindful of in light of the things that they are trying to do in following after Jesus. But they're called a weight. Even the good things in this life are called a weight. And a weight is something that drags. It drags. And it drags you from that which is indeed ultimate, and that is Jesus. The thing about these weights and about these things in life that can, can drag is that they want your time. They do want your energy. They do want your passion, your joy, your focus, your money. And as you give those things to it, your, your energy, your time, your passion, your joy, your focus, your money, they get heavier as you give more to it. In Hebrews 12, 12, 1 is a, an important call that we who are friends with Jesus, trying to follow after him and be friends for the long haul, need to hear. Hebrews 12, 1 is saying that it's not worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is not a drag. He is indeed ultimate. So lay aside these things, even if they're good. Be wise, discerning, and humble, and lay these aside so that you may then run. So that's one thing that we are to put off. If there are good things that are wanting to be ultimate in our hearts, we need to be on guard. Secondly, and this is a lot more universal for all of us, and that is that we lay aside these sinful things. That we lay aside sinful things. The author turns attention to that which is indeed bad, and that is sinful things. First, notice what the author says. The author says that sinful things cling so closely. A a more visual way to see it, better translated than what the version I read from would say, is that these sinful things actually go about entangling us. Now that's the visual that's more appropriate to the word. Clinging so closely doesn't give away, doesn't kind of give us the sense of the entanglement aspect of what sinful things want to do to our hearts and to our lives and to our following after Jesus. When something is entangled, the visual that at least comes to my mind is something that's so knotted up and twisted mess. It's just this knotted up and twisted mess, and it's all sort of wrapped around us. And it takes a painstaking amount of time to undo what is entangled. Now, I do not have a household of girls. But I have observed... The ordeal that is a young lady's hair after a day at the beach or a water park. There's a great entanglement that takes the better part of three weeks, I think, to disentangle. Something that's entangled takes forever to get untangled. A toddler's shoelace. It requires a lot of patience. A lot of focus and commitment and energy. And sometimes it's just infuriating, isn't it? That's the nature here of what's happening. These bad things, they entangle us. And more seriously though, when we are entangled in sin, it's like more sin gets knotted and twisted up in it. 
to the point where we, we look like we've been all spindled up by one of those giant spiders in Lord of the Rings. We're just unable to run, unable to move. And some entanglements are far more severe than others. So we need to be mindful of the nature of these bad things, sinful things, is that it is a great entanglement to our hearts, to our faith, to our affection, to our following Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, what is a sinful thing? If it's doing this terrible thing, what is it? Well, a simple way to define sin is anything, that is, word, thought, motive, desire, action, that rejects God and rebels against Him. Anything that rejects God and rebels against Him. Rebel, rejects and rebels against God's worth, saying that He's not ultimate. Rejects and rebels against God's works, how He has designed things to be. Rejects and rebels against God's ways, this is the manner in which we are to live rejects and rebels against God's word in which he makes his ways and works and worth explicit. That's sin. We need to be mindful of the fact that that sin wants to entangle us so that we don't follow after Jesus as our friend. Sin essentially says God isn't worthy or worth it. This will indeed entangle our hearts and hinder us from running with endurance. So it's very important that we see here on the very front end, what are we to do? Well, a big aspect, a significant lifelong aspect for the follower of Jesus, the friend of Jesus, is an ongoing laying aside the, the things that could drag or the things that entangle. That the rest of our life on this side of glory is learning how to lay aside the good things and the sinful things so that we may run with endurance. And that leads us right into the next, the second aspect of what we are to do. Lay aside hindrances so as to run with endurance. No matter what, no matter how we slice it, it is a marathon. Following Jesus as his friend in this world is a marathon. Living in friendship with Jesus in a world full of weights and entanglements is not quick and it is not an easy thing to do. Just like a marathon, getting ready for a marathon is not quick. And, and then even with all of the training and prep for the 12 to 20 weeks or, or whatever, it's still not an easy thing to do. And so if we bring a sprinter's mindset, like preparing to run a 40-yard dash to a marathon... All that's going to do is produce a great deal of failure and discouragement. We need to take on the, the mentality of a marathon. We need to take on the idea that we are brought into a life that is called to run with endurance. This sort of mentality helps us see that being friends with Jesus in this life, it's actually for the long haul, not just a dash, not just a sprint, but for all the way to the very end. And this friendship is a friendship that builds up its strength, if you will, as the miles build up and are walking and are jogging and are running with him through this life. It is a marathon no matter how we slice it. And it is also 
difficult no matter what. A marathon is difficult no matter what. Know how we're called to run. It is with endurance. Endurance in the face of weights, entanglements, and difficulties in this life, in this world. The word for endurance here is actually telling us that we need to have patient, trusting, perseverance in the face of a world that is broken and fallen. With hearts that can easily wander or wane. That we are to be patient and trusting in our perseverance. It's interesting how our chapter begins. It begins with the word therefore. Which always is to kick you back right before it. To see what was going on. And if you're familiar with Hebrews, and you know then in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this like great walking through of the Old Testament, how there were Old Testament believers clinging and trusting God in the face of all sorts of difficulties. For one, they were on the other side of promise. They hadn't quite seen how that promise was going to be fulfilled, but they were still trusting in the God of that promise. The New Testament and our day are on the flip side of the promise. We see how the promise was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But we're all looking in the same dire- to the same point, either looking ahead like the Old Testament does, or we look back like we do now in, in the days since Christ. But in the midst of all of that, they were trusting God in the face of all sorts of difficulties and hardships. And the paragraph right before we kick into chapter 12 talks about an incredible group of people who face such great adversaries and difficulties and oppositions, but they kept being patient, trusting in the face of such hardships. In verses 35 through 38 of Hebrews 11, we see these words. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These Old Testament saints serve as witnesses to the grace and faithfulness of God. Witnesses to the fact that the marathon is worth it. And they serve as encouragements to us in the face of the hardships and difficulties and struggles that we experience in this life and in this world. What are we to do in this friendship for the long haul? We're to lay aside Every weight, we're to lay aside the sin that seeks to entangle so that we can run with endurance. Life will be hard enough without the weights and the sin. And so our call is to do that. But, but you might be thinking, okay, but how can I do that? How can I do that? Well, the next three words are our answer. The beginning of verse 2. Looking to Jesus. What are we to do? Lay aside hindrances and run with endurance. How? By looking to Jesus. First of all, we look around and see that it isn't worth it. Just as I was saying, Hebrews 11 is this great cloud of witnesses. They're not there cheering you on. They're there actually for you. 
You look and you see the faithfulness of God through people who were patient and trusting and persevering in hardship. They serve as reminders that God is faithful, that the race is worth it, and that we can do it by the grace of God. And then secondly, and maybe more significantly, where we transition here in verse 2, we are able to do it because we look to Jesus. To look to means to rely upon. To rely upon for support and inspiration, motivation. When we look to Jesus, we receive supreme encouragement to endure and to persevere to the very end. When we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus is the source of our endurance. That Jesus is the source of our help. That Jesus is the source of our inspiration and our motivation. When we look to Jesus, we see that it is indeed worth it. The more we look to Jesus, no matter the difficulties in our lives as we are looking to Jesus, the more we look to Jesus, the more we see how worth it it is. And that's just it. Last week, we considered that Jesus is worthy and Jesus is worth it. Both of those are important. That we see that he is indeed worthy to be ultimate and worth it to be ultimate. There is no one else that will buckle under the weight of ultimate. That Jesus can hold it up because he's worthy to hold it up. And as Jesus becomes the main thing of our lives and of our hearts, our affection, our worship, we realize with greater increasing clarity and affection that he is indeed worth it. Another way to say it is this. Because Jesus is worthy, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it to lay aside the good things and the sinful things. He is worth it to run with endurance. And the more we look to Jesus, the more we see he's worthy, and the more our heart grasps how worth it it is. If you don't look to the bigger picture, something bigger than the world in which we live in, then the motivation is only going to ever be tied to your circumstances. So when circumstances are good, then following Jesus is good. When circumstances are hard, then we, we are upset with Jesus and we're upset with our faith. Hey, it didn't bail us out of this hardship. We get all twisted up and knotted up and misapplied motivations. The ultimate motivation for any one of us in this room is that Jesus is worthy and Jesus is worth it. And so to run with endurance is first and foremost to look to Jesus. How can we lay aside that which hinders and run with endurance? Well, we, we rest in the worthiness of Jesus and we rely on his worth itness. Because looking to Jesus is our means of endurance. It is our means of endurance. There's an incredible stretch of chapters in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, I'd, I'd always encourage a read, reread of those three chapters. But in those chapters, there's an incredible picture of how worth it Jesus is in this life. In the face of all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of hardships, all kinds of things that would, that would press us and our endurance to follow after him as our friend. I just want to rattle through just four verses through those 
chapters as, a, as an encouragement to us in the fact that Jesus is the source of our endurance, that he is indeed worthy and worth it. That when we look to him, we, we get to see this in greater measure over the course of our lives. First is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, and, with, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We get to behold Jesus through faith, We get to behold Jesus, and the more we look into the Word, and we see Jesus on every page, and we see how all these pages are leading to Him, the more we see how worthy He is. And it's doing something to us. It's changing us. It's changing us. It's deepening more Christ-likeness in our lives, little bit by little bit, little degree by little degree. So if we don't look to Jesus, how are we going to be changed? So we look to Jesus. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, these are familiar words. In light of anything that we might face in this world, in this life, we have this treasure in jars of clay, the power of God to bring about our salvation and our growth in Jesus. We have it in jars of clay that show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We can run with endurance. We can lay aside these weights and these sins that so easily entangle because we have something bigger and better and greater at work in us. When we're looking to Jesus, this is what we get to see. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We don't lose heart. There are a lot of reasons to lose heart. But the more we look to Jesus, we don't lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Not only do we not lose heart, but we can be of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So, so imagine those three chapters as sort of our training ground for preparing for a marathon. That each week we want to add a little bit, a little bit more, building up our gospel mileage in which we get a better view of Jesus so that we can run with endurance over the long haul. If we show up for a marathon without training for it, we will most likely quit. Or we will certainly be greatly discouraged. Without building up toward those 26 miles, we have no concept of what running 26 miles means. Similarly, if we don't look to Jesus in this way, we have no concept of what it looks like to look to Jesus for the long haul. We must look to Jesus. When life is hard and heavy and filled with all kinds of entanglements and weights, how can we endure that if we're not looking to Jesus? So what can we do? We can lay aside hindrances and we can run with endurance. That's what we are to do. How can we do it? Looking to Jesus. Why can we do it? Well, that's the rest of verse 2 in Hebrews 12. Why 
we can do it because Jesus gives us everything we need. Jesus gives us everything we need. So look at verse two again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we look to Jesus, we see that he has done everything for our friendship. He is the author and completer of our faith. Translation says perfecter, but it's bringing it to completion. He is how we go from faith to sight. We live by faith now, but one day we will see is because Jesus is the author and completer of our faith. And Jesus entered into our life, into our humanity, into our world, and he endured it all, most especially the cross where he bore the penalty of our sin, breaking the power of our sin, and giving us the hope that one day he will remove the presence of sin. He endured the cross. Not only did he endure the cross, but he took on the shame, the shame of the cross, the shame of sin. He took it all on. And then he is seated. He is seated. The work is finished. And from that seat, he brings into our lives all that we need. Why can we do it? Why can we go about laying aside the hindrances and running with endurance? Why can we do it? Because Jesus was our forerunner, because he did it, and because of all that he has done and all that he has accomplished, he now gives to his friends as if his friends did it too. So enduring the penalty of sin, breaking the power of sin, overcoming the shame of sin, all that Jesus did for us is now counted as if we did it. That's what he gives to his friends. That's how we can run with endurance. We can run because Jesus laid aside every weight that could have dragged him from his mission to redeem us. Jesus faced every temptation and never got entangled. Jesus endured every sorrow, every hardship, every sense of abandonment, every isolation, every vulnerable moment that a person can feel, and he did not quit. Jesus endured death and the tomb, and he overcame them once and for all. And Jesus rose again and returned to glory where he is seated, one, victoriously, and also seated in a manner in which he supplies all that we need. What does it mean to be friends with Jesus for the long haul? It is growing at laying aside that which hinders, and it means running with endurance. We do it by looking to Jesus, and as we look to Jesus, we see that he has given us all we need to do it. So, the heart of this passage, right in the middle, At the heart of this message is the call to look to Jesus. Perhaps you have yet to look to Jesus in a saving way. That is, looking to him and saying, I cannot live this life in a way that makes me right with God. The only hope that I have to being right with you is because of what you have done in my place. Living the life that I could not live and dying the death that I deserve and overcoming the grave 
the consequences of sin. And so looking to Jesus is initially looking to him for salvation. And the Bible gives us great encouragement. All those who look to Jesus for salvation will not be shamed. You will find it when you look to Christ. And so maybe for you in this room, that's the look that needs to happen this morning. I don't know. I don't know your heart, but that's the guidance that I would give to you. But for others in here, you've looked to Jesus for salvation. And so what do we do? Well, we keep on looking. Keep on looking. And the more you look, the more you see how worthy he is and how worth it it is. And the more you see how worth it is, the more strength happens and grows in your faith and in your heart and in your life to lay aside the things that hinder, to run with endurance through all of life. And so please, no matter who you are, where you are, in light of Jesus, hear the call to look to him. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that good work in us and help us to see that in our friend Jesus, we have all that we need for this life. While this life will not be easy, it will be hard. A marathon is not easy, it's hard. Help us to see that Jesus supplies what we need in the face of all that we could face because he actually faced it all. He endured it all. He endured things far greater than anything that we could experience in this life. There at the cross, he endured the weight of our sin, all of it. There at the cross, he paid it in full. There at the cross, he paved the way for us to be his friend. Now may that be to us a source of strength, of joy, of hope, a source of endurance to live our lives following our friend. And we pray it in his name. Amen.